Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Hey, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was February 9th, 1907. About 3,000 women from more than 40 suffrage organizations marched from Hyde Park to Exeter Hall in London to advocate for women's right to vote. The National Union of Women's Suffrage Societies, or NUWSS, had organized the United Procession of Women, as it was officially called. Led by suffragist Millicent Fawcett, Lady Jane Strachey, Lady Frances Balfour, and Keir Hardy, and organized by Lady Jane's daughter, Philippa Strachey, the march was the first of a series of open-air processions that were meant to bring attention to the cause. Because of the dreary, rainy weather that day, this event became known as the Mud March. But even though the marching women had to trek through muddy, rain-soaked streets, the event was still successful at drawing large crowds of spectators, increasing awareness about the movement, and affecting future change. The National Union of Women's Suffrage Societies formed in 1897, and Millicent Fawcett headed up the organization, which created petitions, held public meetings, handed out literature, and used other non-confrontational means to sway public opinion and convince governments that women should have the right to vote. At the same time, many others who believed women should be able to vote did not jibe with the constitutionalist methods of the NUWSS and other organizations. So the suffragettes emerged on the opposite end of the spectrum from the suffragists. In 1903, Emmeline Pankhurst founded the Women's Social and Political Union, which grew to include a lot more working-class women and used direct action to get their point across. The suffragettes, as members of this organization came to be known, interrupted political meetings, heckled government officials, chained themselves to railings, destroyed property, staged hunger strikes while they were in prison, and were otherwise super militant in their advocacy. The organization's motto, Deeds, Not Words, pretty much sums up what the suffragettes were all about. These women were often decried as violent, called names like Shrieking Sisterhood, and even assaulted. Not all suffragettes agreed with the direct action tactics in the Pankhurst leadership, though, and eventually, the women's social and political union split. Needless to say, the movement for women's suffrage in the United Kingdom was fractured. But despite the differences in thought and approach among all the organizations, suffragists and suffragettes recognized their common goal. That was to get some women the vote. I say some women because the people fighting for women's suffrage often just wanted property-owning women to be able to cast their votes. Anyway, the suffragists wanted to prove that they too could mobilize a strong, attention-grabbing protest 
And they wanted to persuade Parliament that women were totally behind the idea of suffrage and that it was a good idea to enact legislation around it. So in November 1906, the Central Society for Women's Suffrage proposed a demonstration that would happen around the same time the next session of Parliament opened. And Philippa Strachey, Lady Strachey's daughter, set to work on organizing a march. The goal was to bring together a bunch of suffrage societies to participate in the march, but that was not an easy task because a lot of those groups disagreed with one another on suffrage issues. In fact, the Women's Social and Political Union was not officially invited to the march because groups like the British Women's Temperance Association refused to show up if they were. But regardless of hostilities, the show went on. The Artists' Suffrage League was established in January 1907 to create posters, postcards, and banners for the procession. And the march started near Hyde Park Corner on February 9th, 1907. There was a band, watching crowds, decorated cars and carriages, scheduled speakers, and women from all walks of life. Though I might add that the role of women of color in the British women's suffrage movement is hardly noted. But the marchers and spectators stuck it out through the ugly weather. Even though the march wasn't as much of a spectacle as, say, the smashing windows and setting off bombs that some suffragettes were known for, it still was a very public act of defiance. At the time, the social expectation was still kind of this idea that women should be seen and not heard, and taking to the streets to protest wasn't exactly the most respectable thing to do. Many women expected to lose their jobs, damage their reputations, and be shamed if they marched, which made the march that much more exciting and worthwhile. The march got a considerable amount of press, both positive and negative, and Member of Parliament Willoughby Dickinson did introduce a bill that would extend voting rights to some women that same month, though it floundered. But the march was the largest of its kind at the time, and it spawned other large-scale processions in the women's suffrage movement. A segment of women over the age of 30 won the right to vote in the United Kingdom in 1918, and suffrage was extended to everyone over age 21 in 1928. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Here's a cool little tidbit that I found while I was researching this episode, and that's that the term suffragette was supposed to be this term of derision, but as happens with a lot of terms, the group that it was meant to offend co-opted it and made it their own. So the suffix et is meant to be a kind of diminutive, but some suffragettes switched up the meaning of that suffix. For instance, Lady Hubel said that that et suffix should be turned into jet, which could refer to the jet of enthusiasm in the suffrage movement. And the Pankhursts suggested that jet, that suffix, could instead be pronounced as get, as in get the vote. See you tomorrow for another episode.
You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello again, I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History class, a show where we drop history knowledge every single day. The day was February 9th, 1909. Singer, dancer, and actress Carmen Miranda was born. Miranda was known for the fruit hat and costumes that she wore in her films. Miranda was born Maria do Carmo Miranda da Cunha in Portugal. She was christened with the nickname Carmen in her childhood, reportedly after the opera of the same name by Georges Bizet. When she was a small child, her parents moved the family to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. There, her father worked as a salesman and barber. Carmen was raised in a strict Roman Catholic household. She went to the convent school of Santa Teresina, but by age 14, she was working to help support the family. Carmen gained an interest in singing and dancing early on. For a while, she worked as a department store model and salesperson. She would sing songs for her coworkers, and eventually a guitarist invited her to sing with him on a radio show. An American record label soon offered her a contract, and she began recording songs and getting offers to perform at nightclubs. Though her father was initially against Carmen being a performer, Carmen continued to record songs with composer and violinist Josue Jubajos. Her early records struggled to gain an audience, but by 1930, she had recorded Pra Voce Gostar Jumim, a traditional Brazilian marcha song by composer Jober Ju Carvalho. At that point, Miranda and her singing style became more popular. She made her on-screen debut in the short film A Voz Ju Carnaval, which was released in 1933. Two years later, she appeared in her first feature film, Alo Alo Brasil. She continued to make more films and toured across South America, usually backed by her own band, named Banda da Luna. By 1939, she had made hundreds of records and had become a celebrity throughout the continent. When Philadelphia theater manager Lee Schubert saw Miranda at a nightclub in Rio, he offered her a role on Broadway. Audiences and critics took notice of the Brazilian bombshell as she eventually came to be known. She dressed in her spin on the clothes women in Bahia wore, donning long, flared skirts, halter tops with ruffled sleeves, platform shoes, a lot of jewelry, and a turban with a basket of fruit on top. She sang in Portuguese. Though she gained a lot of popularity in the United States, when she returned to Brazil after the Broadway show closed, some Brazilians and Argentinians were unhappy with the way she depicted their customs. Many thought she was uplifting stereotypes of women in Latin America and was becoming Americanized. And others thought that she was being appropriative and inappropriate in her style, which was associated with Black women. Samba, a Brazilian genre that Miranda embraced, was born in Black communities. She went back to the United States when the studio 20th Century Fox offered her a contract. Miranda's colorful garb inspired fashion trends in the U.S., By 1945, Miranda was the highest-paid entertainer in Hollywood. 
Miranda often appeared in films that helped promote the U.S.'s good neighbor policy, making her a sort of goodwill ambassador representing Brazil and other South American countries. Over the years, Miranda became a household name in the U.S. Her musical career flourished even as her film career declined. For the most part, Miranda kept her private life under wraps. She died in California in August of 1955. Though her image was controversial, her music had global appeal and shot her to the status of a superstar who drew attention to samba music and Brazilian culture. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Send your best history memes to us at T-D-I-H-C podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also shoot us an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We'll see you again tomorrow with another one. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.